This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's podcast for your author success with the Author You your guide to book publishing show. And as you listen in, you're going to get a variety of ahas, insights, tips, and how-tos for your author publishing and book marketing success. I always like to start a show with a quote from my quote book, which has got 400 in them now, titled Snappy, Sassy, Salty Success for Authors and Writers. And Our topic today is all about writing, the smarts of writing, the how-tos to really engage and and research to make sure that you're not using a Timex watch when you're doing the future. Just saying. So with that said, my quote is, don't write the fisher in the pond. Write how the sun glistens on their spotted backs, how the setting sun creates shadows darkening their brilliant tangerine and salmon colors, how the scales shimmer as they effortlessly glide through the lily pads, how they dash between the algae and the pellets, filling their mouths until the next offering is dropped into the water. When you do, you've shown the reader a world, not a word or a nondescript phrase. With that is the fabulous, amazing, awesome authors, Hall of Famer, Michael Gear. I should say W. Michael Gear, but we're going to call him Mike. And that'll work. That'll work. Yeah. Okay. So Mike's a native California. In fact, if you go to his website, which is gear-gear.com, if you you can you can see him as the original mountain man. He is the mountain man. Um, he is um, beloved of the mountains, of the hills. He resides in the fabulous state of Wyoming now. Um, but he is all about writing. And, and if you read a little bit further, you know, he's he's beyond a writer in so many things. He's also got some other, other tricks in his trade, like anthropology. Um, and he understands all the ancient things and think of layers. And when you're writing, you got to think in layers. So having Mike with us, Um, to talk about the writing things, his type of writing rules, the research he does, uh, as well as, we can't leave without talking about his latest book, and I do want to kiss on, he's just picked up a couple of more amazing awards. With us is Mike Gear. Mike, welcome to the show. My pleasure. All right, so where do we start? You, You actually have a... Um, article in the Colorado Authors Hall of Fame.org website today, which you entitled Willing Suspension of Disbelief, the Contract and Why Research Matters. Why don't we dig in there? Why does research matter? 
Well, because essentially in, in a novel, Judith, a novel stands on three legs. And you have plot, character, and setting. And if there are flaws in any one of those three legs, just like, like with a tripod, the whole thing falls. Now, and this is one of those things that just to illustrate what willing suspension of disbelief is, it says, okay, I'm an author. I'm going to write you this story. And yeah, I'm making it all up. We know that it's fiction, but you're going to go ahead and just believe that this is indeed reality and it, that this is indeed the universe. So what the author's job is, is to create plot, character, and setting that is so vivid that it doesn't bring the reader out of that story. And I suppose, you know, the best way to, to think of this is, I mean, how many times when you've been watching a movie and something occurs, it, think like old westerns, for example, which was supposed to be set in the 1860s, and everybody's running around with, with, with 1892 Winchesters, which mm -hmm. are what we call an anachronism, which are, are out of time. And it, it just brings you right out of the movie. And the same thing happens with your novel. What setting does for you is allows you to create that environment for the reader. But when you do it, you have to be absolutely accurate with your research in your setting. Um, yeah, today you couldn't get away, for example, of, of writing a novel about say the, the Blackfoot Indians in, in Montana and describe the scenery as being in Monument Valley in Arizona. Uh, readers are too sophisticated for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're, if they're a, an astute follower of that genre, that whole area, you know, I, I think of, you know, one of your actually co-inductees in the Authors Hall of Fame, Margaret Cole, who who just stays in the Southwest all the time um, and in, in, in one or two Indian reservations. And that's it. And my, my God, she knows those in and out. So she doesn't make oh, yeah. the movies you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she started originally as, as, as a, an Arapaho scholar, did a, a magnificent biography of Chief Left Hand. And when she writes about Arapaho on the Wind River Reservation, you are there. And that's where you want to be. That's what the setting is all about. That's right. And I'm, and it's doing the research. Uh, you can't, if you scrape by, just a, a, an excellent example. I'm sure most of your, your audience are familiar with C.J. Box. And I mean, Chuck wrote his first novel, um, Open Range, and he he just made a, a, a classic little small mistake. He said that you know that Joe Pickett forgot to put the safety on when he when he put his Glock back in his holster. And yet, this is my God, how long ago was this written? Chuck probably wrote Open Range 25 years ago, and he still gets mail constantly. And you know, reviews online saying, gee, doesn't he know that a Glock doesn't have a safety? So, I mean, it can be something mm -hmm. that small that follows you forever and ever and ever. Just like I misspelled Abilene in uh, Long Ride Home when it first came out in 1988. 
<laughs> now, fortunately, I've been able. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyone who finds the first edition of that still, yeah, periodically I'll get a, a letter saying, Abilene, doesn't matter if it's in Kansas or in Texas, is spelled like this. And so I got, I was able to fix that. Yeah, yeah, in later editions and make sure that it was spelled correctly. But well, going, you know, things... going, it happens. But, you know, going back with what they can do is that when you see like Glocks don't have safeties, that baby should have been corrected so long ago. So anything new going out just doesn't even allow that in it. But Judith Publishing oh, doesn't work like that. Oh, yeah, we, I know. we were fortunate with, I know. with Long Ride Home <laughs> that, that they did uh, later versions of that that we were able to to have it changed. But in that first original paperback before they went to trade, mm-hmm. it it's there forever. It's it. Well, we call that a classic now, Michael. That's a it's a classic. Indeed, we do. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and for you know, Kathleen and I, we are best known for writing the People series. Uh-huh. Now, the, the People series, these are uh, uh, our most successful series of novels. There are 29 of them, all about North American archaeology, uh, what happened on this continent prior to the arrival of the Europeans. And when we were first contracted to write these books back in, in 1987, uh, you know, the, the publisher said, you know, gee, prehistory is, is a coming thing. It's exploding. We really want to get you in on the ground floor as anthropologists and archaeologists and write this series. So, uh, of course, Gene All was doing very well. Linda Lay Schuler was doing very well. And when uh, People of the Wolf laid down, it, you know, it, it, it was our first New York Times novel. And Kathy and I were three, three, four years later, Kathy and I were sent to a, a book festival in Florida. And at this point in time, every publisher in New York was trying to hook up a new prehistory author. Mm-hmm. And where they went was to the romance genre, figuring yeah. well, you know, Gene Hall's female and there's a love story. And, you know, Linda Lay Schuler's female and there's a love story in She Who Remembers. So, they contracted with all their best-selling romance authors. And Kathy and I got to the book festival, and one lady who uh, will remain nameless walked up to us and said, "Oh, you're the Gears! Don't you just love writing in prehistory? Because no one knows anything about it. You can write anything you want." And the answer is no, you can't. There's a, a great deal of information out there. It's hard to get to because you have to go to the archaeological literature and to ethnographic literature, and it's mostly written in a language that no one human can read, but um, the information is there. And, of course, those books that they paid a lot of money for went out and fell flat on their face because readers understand they can look through the paragraphs and see the authenticity of your writing. And all of that hinges on excellent research to make that setting work. Uh, so readers know when there is no there there. Readers right. know who are familiar um, with the genre and every area or the setting. So back to your setting on that. And then it's really, I, I think when we come back from our break, which we're just kissing right now, Mike, that I'd love to have you go into 
some of the tips. And we're, then we need to come back to the rest of our legs of our stool that we've got up here. <laughs> with the, okay. Okay, that come back with some really key tips on this research area. I mean, I've always said people should write what they know, but when you're writing fiction, you may not know it, but you can know it. Let's get back and figure out what we need to do. We'll be right back, everyone. It's all for you, your guide to publishing. is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles and we'll be right back with more great information right after these is there a book in you or another author you shows you how to create develop and publish your book without being hoodwinked if you already have a book out you will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative no matter where you live. Author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual Author U extravaganza. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author U's extensive network, Members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. Author Use, the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, Author U is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms, and it is free. Discover Author U, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join Author U today at authoru.org. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book. If you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me is Mike Gear, and he is. I, I've Mike. I've lost count. How many books do we have out now? Okay, Kathy and I have just published our 84th novel. Uh, that's after the Eagle Has Fallen. It's the third book in the Wyoming Chronicle series. So that's that's the combo. So you have, and, and we need. You know, we cannot leave here because you and Kathy are writing partners. I, I, would that be fair to call it that, or collaborators, or how do you refer your co-authors? How do you refer to yourself? Hey, we share absolutely everything, including the bills, food, funguses, <laughs> viruses. You oh name my. it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we won't go down some of those paths, but um, and, and and I'd love to get some tips on writing with another person to make it work, and maybe because most of them. You know, most people are not, you know, husband and wife writing teams. Um, most are the relationship of some sort 
writing teams. I've, I've that's been my experience. Unless you can tell me I'm totally wrong. Yeah, there, there are a we've known some other couples that that have have written, uh, but we've also known a lot of writers who got together thinking, yeah, they were um, you know, each doing their own stuff, and gee, they'd try and co-author a book. And most of them ended up getting divorced and, and fighting yeah. like cats and dogs over it. Now, Kathy yeah. and I still, we, we do our share of fighting over books, but usually it's about the interpretation of the data rather than mm -hmm. the actual story in the writing itself. Because mm -hmm. honest to God, Judith, I have written things which were so profound that they were going to rock the Pulitzer Committee back on its heels and <laughs> redefine Western literature. And Kathy has sent the manuscript back to me in big red letters saying, Mike, this is real fecal material, although she used like a, a shorter German word. <laughs> and, and ultimately, the reality to this is, is that if I was so profound that I took her out of the story, because oh. of my profundity, then yeah. obviously that was a mistake. And our goal when we write these things is to create a universe and a world so seamlessly and so believable that the reader falls into it on the first page and is anxious and upset when they, they come out of it at the last. Oh, that, absolutely. That's what I love. I, I love my, my whole thing is, you know, when you do a book, you want them when, when they, when the book cover falls open, you want the reader to fall in, stay with you. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that, that is where I go. All right. So with that said, um, let's come back to research a little bit. And, and I do want to come back to the how you go back and forth. I mean, I, I know I've talked with um, Kevin Anderson when he's writing with his writing partner um, for yeah. the, his, the Dunes and some of the other books. Dune they series? Do. Yeah. yeah, their series. How, how they go back and forth. I mean, Kevin starts in the woods. He does his trail. He dictates it. He comes back. He writes up it. And then he sends it back, you know, on. And then they do the back and forth thing, you know, with the, with the word docs and all that stuff. But, you know, everyone has their own method. So I'd love to know how you start a book off. But that's let me come back to that writing together. Let's get back into research. So when you when you come up with an idea, those, those profound Pulitzer Prize winning ideas that drop in every once in a while. Um, where are you? Probably our the the best story that that illustrates that is uh, yeah Kathy and I during in the People series we had done an awful lot of books set in the Southwest and we were thinking that yeah, we had to deal with fifteen sixteen thousand years and an entire continent and an extraordinarily sophisticated and complex archaeology that had a lot of different cultures flourish and fall and civilizations grow and fall. So we were going to try and, and move out of the Southwest and probably do a, a, a Texas book because that was a huge demographic that even in 29 novels, we never really got around to, to, to touching. And we had taken a, a trip down to um, Chimney Rock Archaeological Site in southwestern Colorado and contacted the Forest Service archaeologist, Glenn Raby, and he said, yeah, Glenn, we'd like a, to have a a comprehensive tour of the site. 
So he takes us up, and Chimney Rock is a marvelous place because the, the Chaco and Anasazi built what we call a great house there in the ele- early 1100s, and then it burned promptly in 1130. So it sits on top of a mountain. Uh, the moon comes up at the solar maximum once every 18.6 years and shines through the, the two twin rocks into the great house. Mm. I mean, it's a cool sight, and we're walking along, and Glenn points over the edge and says, yeah, when Johnson dug this in 1922, that's where he found all the burned bodies. Now, oh, my. Does that, does <laughs> that set you up? <laughs> does that set you up for a novel or what? Oh, yeah. So we ended up writing People of the Moon based on on just that one magnificent event. Mm. So just one thing drops in and then your imaginations take it and run? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because in this case, that handed us the end of the story. I mean, it was right there. Who were those people? How did uh-huh. they end up there? So, of course, from there, we went to, to the art, to the literature uh-huh. and, you know, read all of the reports, all the excavation reports, uh, the final stuff, the environmental stuff, uh, everything that, that you need to know to write a prehistory novel. And, of course, we'd already worked with, with Chaco before. So we understood the political system and how the great houses were aligned and and the communication centers and and where all the roads were and so it was it was just wonderful because we were able to fit all those pieces together and then um, include the, the the religious beliefs uh, you know bring to life some of the the kachinas uh, in the old religion prior to mm-hmm. the, the, the collapse and fall of Chaco. Mm-hmm. So when y- your background, you know, you've got has um, been a, a really pivotal with your success. Would you agree? Besides, you're a great writer, but that just understanding it in the first place, I'm thinking that and know what to look for in your research, because I think a lot of people who start writing think, oh, I want to write a Western, but they've never been on a horse or they've never lived in the West or any of that, think they, they can get it all just by doing reading a few books versus maybe some of that experience or the really deep dive studying that you've done in your career before you became a novelist. Am I on track here or am I off? Oh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> no, definitely. And yeah, the old adage is write what you know, uh-huh. but if you don't know it, learn it. Um, I did a, a novel oh, about uh, 20 years back called Genesis Athena. Um, Kathy and I had, had been to uh, the American Association of Physical Anthropology meetings and were listening to some of the what they were doing with, with forensic genetics at the time. Mm-hmm. So we kind of spun together this this whole idea about uh, stealing celebrity DNA because you know, celebrities are are the biggest thing in the news. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, you know, train derailed and, and killed forty five people, but guess what? What Jennifer Aniston is wearing this week? <laughs> that's, that's that's one of those things that anthropologists that that always yeah, just fascinates us. But wanted to the central the 
one of the protagonists is going to have to be a bodyguard. And so I called uh, the good folks up at, at Heckler and Coke and said, hey, I want to take your, your class on how to be a bodyguard. So I went down to Florida and spent two weeks learning executive protection. So I guess if mm-hmm. if the book writing business folds and you know, there's nothing left in the Buffalo industry, I've, I've got the card. I can go be a, a bodyguard. Well, there you go. You learn. Yeah. Do that research. Learn what you need to know. Um, and 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 that's part of the investment. This is part of the author investment um, that people sometimes are reluctant to pay for. I mean, that's what I see. That's what some of my experiences. They don't realize they got to pick up and go to the site to really understand. And the site could be anything. It could be a lighthouse for all I know. But it could be you got to understand how these things come together if you're going to use them as a a in in some cases they become a character in your in your writing and they're not a living person. How many times have you had that? All the time. All the time. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, when uh, Kathy and I were were doing the the research for People of the Lakes, this was the the first book that uh, Torforge campaigned for the Pulitzer. Didn't win, but um, we were doing all the research on Hopewell, uh, driving from Louisiana all the way up into Ohio. And at Pinson Mounds, uh, this is a, a, a Hopewell archaeological site from Marksville phase that's in central southern Tennessee. Uh, when we walked down to, to one of the flat mounds, it was, it was just like, bang, you know, Black Skull was there. And we saw him on top of that dancing around pirouetting with, with his war club and that that character was born from that site at that visit. And so, and it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't made that visit. Exactly. And what your listeners need to understand is if you are going to write, this is a job. This isn't a hobby. This isn't something that you do when you can uh, get a spare hour or two away from the kids. And this is a job. You treat this job with as much respect and dedication as you would treat a normal eight to five job where you're, you're going in to do something. Mm-hmm. This is work. This isn't mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's fun work when you, when you do it correctly, mm-hmm. but it's still work. And if you do not approach it with the fact that, yeah, you're going to dedicate these resources, this amount of time, and it's going to be rock solid, you're not going to make it as as an author, period. Mm -hmm. Period. Um, We have less than a minute to our next break, but I would love to give you to give your definition when you say the what is the willing suspension of disbelief? Okay. The willing of suspension suspension of disbelief is that I will write this story and you I will make it all up and you as the reader will pretend that it's absolutely true and if I do if I make any mistakes with setting or character or plot that breaks that rule that defies willing suspension of disbelief and I have failed as an author all right we'll be right back
Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Bryles Unplugged events. Each summer, Judith Bryles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. You get publishing strategies, author and book platforms, book marketing panache and pizzazz, and authoring tools to take you and your book to rock star success. In the fall and winter, Judith Bryles Speaking Unplugged includes Judith as your coach and mentor during two powerful days. You will learn how to structure a speech, how to create openings and closings, how to find gigs that pay you and sell your books, and you will get one-on-one coaching. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the Events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me is Mike Gear, the author, along with his fabulous writing partner and wife, Kathy Gear of 84 books to date with much more to come. And I, you know, we just opened up um, when I asked him, you know, what was his definition of the suspension of disbelief? And his response back was, is it's, it's a contract. And the contract is between the author and the reader. And the author says, I'm going to tell you a story and you will agree to believe it. And um, if it's fiction, which it, you know, this can work both ways, by the way, fiction and nonfiction, but you're going to accept for the moment that the characters did, could, or would do these things. If the author fails to do that or screws up, this is my words adding on the screw up, um, then he has violated his contract with you, the reader. Would you agree with that, Mike? Absolutely. Okay. So let's get into some of your rules. Cause I love your rules. Um, that that got you started writing because someone had put out what you believed was the contract, and you knew you couldn't believe in it or some variation of it. So let's let's start rolling out there. Oh yeah, I mean, in, in this case, what you were talking about is is I was reading a western novel in which uh, the fella takes off from Texas with a herd of steers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And steers for a lot of your readers are going to go, yeah, okay. I mean, that, that's a, a castrated male beef. And the problem was, is that he got to the Gallatin Valley in the epilogue of the book and all of his, his steers were having calves. So, I mean, this is one of those things. Talk about it. It was a, an epic violation of willing suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. that started me writing because I said, hey, I can do better than that. So this is, is how important it is to make sure that everything is correct. Uh, the other tentative rule that Kathy and I have is we only use about 20% of the research that we do on a book. Uh, so 80% of it doesn't go into that novel because it would clog it up. You need just enough to, to be able to set the scene, to make the scene believable so that the characters can act like they want to act. 
Oh, the classic 80-20 rule. <laughs> I, yep. I, I hear and, the numbers coming in. Yeah, and th- it, it pretty much is, is actually really the case. The reason it ended up being a classic rule is because that's pretty much what you're going to use. And so many beginning writers just go down the rabbit hole. You know, they keep they research and they research and they research when they should be doing a lot more writing. And then it's so fascinating. They have to put every single bit of it into the story and it, it just, it, it's, it's bloated. It's overblown. Uh, first novel I ever wrote, I had like five page sections on mountain Shoshone culture, which didn't really need have anything to do with the story, but Hey, it was a first novel. Hmm. And did you and did you publish that first novel? I mean, you said you wrote it. Did you publish it? No. And honestly, <laughs> Judith, if there is if there is any justice in the universe, no one is ever going to see it. I mean, we had a copy in, in the old ranch house and I wanted to throw it away because I'm terrified that I'm going to die and someone's going to find it in the papers. And Kathy said, no, you can't throw that away. And it turned out that we had an infestation of pack rats one year, and they got up there and they, they crapped and, and tore up all the papers. So I was able to finally toss it, and I thought, yay, vindication. No one's ever going to see it. And then when my mother died, we found another copy in the basement. Oh, my. I'm horrified. Yeah, I know. So there's – but I, I can pray. I can just say, well, yeah, maybe like lightning will strike or something like that, and hmm? it'll go away. Yeah, well, I love I loved your line that you threw out um, before the break where, and I really absolutely d- believe this, you write what, what you know, and then your ad was, if you don't know, you got to learn it. And that's where right. the research comes in, or you go out, or you experience it, or something happens that mm-hmm. all of a sudden drops in um, on that. Now, you wrote in your article, you referenced Tom Clancy if I recall correctly. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm pulling from memory here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, that's a classic publishing story. Okay. So why don't you share it? Pardon? Why don't you share it with that? So, oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, are we talking about Red Hunt for October? Yeah. Okay. Yep, Hunt for Red October. And what he was uh, interested in naval military technology. And so he spent days at the local library, uh, you know, looking at, at scientific journals and, and reading up and started putting all of these pieces together. So he wrote Hunt for Red October because, I mean, he was, he was filling in the gaps, right? Mm-hmm. Saying, well, if, if we know that this technology exists and this technology exists and, you know, that we have this uh, naval doctrine for, for submarines, then that means that this other stuff has to, has to be here. So he wrote the novel, and it was originally published by the Naval Institute Press in Annapolis, and they did a 5,000-copy print run. So it went out, and of course, you know, Naval Institute Press just published for naval geeks, and one of them happened to work in the White House and handed a copy of the book to Reagan and said, Mr. President, you should really read this because nothing else puts our uh, submarine program together as well as Hunt for Red October. So Reagan takes the book and he's walking out to the helicopter. And one of the journalists said, Mr. President, what are you reading? 
So he held up Hunt for Red October, upside down, by the way. And <laughs> everyone jumped on this. And of course, the, the few copies that were, were left at the Naval Institute Press were out the door immediately. And so people started reading it, finding all kinds of classified information. So the Tom Clancy gets a knock on his door, and it's two men in suits saying, Mr. Clancy, would you please come with us? Because here were all these military secrets, weren't, which were supposed to be absolutely, totally classified. And so Tom was really smart because he had just landed a deal with Berkeley for the mass market paperback rights. And when he got in the room, they said, you have the ability to make one phone call. And he did. He called his publicist. So. <laughs> Forget the lawyer, call the publicist. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that was, was really behind the launch for, for Hunt for Red October. Um, it was just one of those fortuitous things that yeah, he hadn't done anything wrong. And he was able to document for naval intelligence and say, you know, look, here's here's where I got the information, and mm -hmm. this is how it works. You know, this is how you put this stuff together. And of course, the the story after that is is just one success after another. So yeah. research oh, yes. can really help you that way. Right, but but also it can kill you. You you have you you gave another example with um, the uh, uh, Jean All with her book that that basically almost killed the reader stop it, it was a situation where you just said I'm, I'm done and i'm done reading this and i can't tell you how many times i have been stopped dead with reading when the author goes in i'm going to tell you everything i know about my belly button in the process um without moving the story along can you kiss on that a little bit yeah, this, keep in mind that writing is always art. You know, that's where there are, are no uh, set rules about how much information you put in. But you do have to put the information in so that the reader is in that universe. But you have to do it craftily. Mm -hmm. uh, in Jean All's case, I mean, I, I think the, the example I gave was where she goes on for five pages on all of the different kinds of mammoth fat that I mean, there who, are. Who cares? I mean, well, I mean, yeah, anthropologists and, and, and paleoanthropologists mm -hmm. definitely care, but it doesn't go in a novel. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's, that's just, that stops the action cold. So what, like Kathy and I have spent years learning how to do is integrate that kind of information into dialogue and action as part of the setting. So you do, for example, a, a, a section of dialogue where uh, two characters are advancing the story and in the background, they're building, for example, a, a, a classic Mississippian trench house at Cahokia so that you can put that information in Round out that, that scene, create that setting brilliantly, but without having to go into five didactic pages on animal fat, or in, in my original case, on mountain Shoshone culture. You just, mm -hmm. you don't do that. 
But how much is enough? Well, that that mm-hmm. all depends. It depends upon the scene. It depends upon the characters. It depends upon what's happening in the action. Sometimes you can use those kinds of descriptions on setting when you have to slow the action down. I mean, there are, are books out there. Uh, thrillers are particularly bad about this, where it's just constant, nonstop action to the point that the action itself uh, defies willing suspension of disbelief. You know, there just isn't a gap. It's it's nonstop. It's it's you know one thing after another after another. It's tiring. Uh, the reader is is kind of losing all of this, and you can use these things to just slow things down so that the reader can catch a breath before they go on to the to the next scene. To the next thing, yeah. So I, I want to because we're going to have one more segment after this, but in the next two minutes, I'd like you to set the stage for the different types of research um, that you you know from the character to the place, the period, any things that we should know about doing our our listeners should know when there's have their research cap on you know i love the fact that you went and did a a, a, a you know down there to be a bodyguard and i was going to tell you that I, you know i have a client who is a master master it does all these customized cars like the how to how to not uh, the armory of them from for ak-47s and much more and how they put the beast together. I mean, that's what he does. That's his business. So if you ever want yeah. to know about that, I have the magic phone number for you. Got it. <laughs> so, right, so character research, place research, period research, anything you'd like to start the, the conversation with that for the finish this segment and then go into the final. Okay. Everyone out there who writes should have a copy of the DSM-5. This is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for uh, Psychiatric Disorders. Mm. It is a goldmine for your characters. Oh, love that. Yeah. All right. I'm writing this down, everybody. I'm getting my copy. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, For example... um, you're going to write a psychopath. You're going to write a, a, a narcissist that has uh, a, a part part of a disassociative identity. That's where you go, because you know, you, your psychopath, for example, one of the mistakes that we often see are are people writing psychopaths. All right, hold on, the, yeah. We're going to take a break. We? We'll get into this. We'll come back. All right. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Are you confused about publishing options? Do you know which printing option is best for your book? Does your stomach flip when you think about selling books? Or do you feel overwhelmed with what to do about book marketing and publicity? Get the answers and much more. Get them and from someone who knows publishing inside and out from both the traditional and independent sides 
how to make a successful book. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand and platform, and is a success, a bestseller. It is your choice. You choose. If you want author and publishing success, you want Judith Bryles as your book coach. Sign up for her weekly blogs and e-zine at thebookshepherd.com. The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing, and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and guide to collaborate with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You do not need more problems. You want solutions. Dr. Judith Riles will shepherd you through the maze and chaos. At times, she has had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher, by a publishing service provider, and sometimes even by the author. If you want author and book success, connect with her today at thebookshepherd.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me today is Authors Hall of Famer, Mike Gear, um, and we're really talking about not only the art of writing, but it's the art of research and how to humanize it um, and integrate it into a lively format within how you write. His latest tip, which I have starred, y'all should have the DSM, that's Dog Sam Mary um, dash five. Uh, manual if to just for your character development to know all the the oddball things that behaviors can create and do um and and he's going to give us an example of how he used it for his classic psychopath but i wanted to let you know his website is gear-gear.com i would encourage you all to explore it and discover um which series and his amazing books that he is now number he with his partner and wife, Kathy Gear, 84 and counting. Um, and you intrigued me because one of the, you know, I, I know a question I'm going to ask you when I have you in the hot seat, Mike. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not telling you. Um, <laughs> but um, if, if someone who's new to your writing, it, it, do you have a book that, or a series you would recommend they start with? Of our our stuff, Kathy, yes. do you mind? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, currently, um, what's what's big right now are the Wyoming Chronicles series, uh, and that's Dissolution. The first book is it's knocking on 1,500 reviews right now with a, a 4.6 star rating, 
And we have just released book number three, After the Eagle Has Fallen, which is set down in your country in Colorado. Um, Kathleen is the big news lady right now because her short story, No Quarter, is going to be the 2023 Western Writers of America Spur Award winner for for short Western fiction. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get to hang out in the in the presence of a real celebrity. All right. So wait a minute before we go off of this, and we're going to get into our all our different um, kinds of research. But you also jointly are recipients of a major award in Colorado that's going to be delivered in June, right? Yeah, that's the Frank Waters Award from the Pikes Peak Library Association for Lifetime Achievement in Western Fiction. Yeah. Yeah, that's so bravo. So those of you who love Western history, which has accurate research that backs up everything, you need to discover the gears, Mike and Kathy. All right. So with that said, we were talking about character research, you know, and you you had a story. You you let us in the DSM-5. Okay, this is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Psychiatric Disorders, which is put out by the American um, Psychiatric Association. And it's got the short list for all of the personality traits that are involved with uh, like child abuse, uh, dissociative disorders, schizophrenia, um, the different kinds of, of psychopathies like um, antisocial personality disorder, um, narcissism, borderline syndrome, and it's an absolutely necessary and vital resource for any author because it again willing suspension of disbelief. If you're if you're writing a psychopath, then he's not going to show any remorse. He's not going to have any empathy. And if you don't, if you haven't been around people like that, you need to have these kinds of resources. Everyone, and I mean, they, and they, and the, you know, the prices. Um, as you talk, I'm already on Amazon buying my copy. But uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when I hear something, I go. I mean, all of you need to react when you get these things. But they have. There's all kinds of versions. There's even a pocket, a pocket guide. How cool is that? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So with that said, um, Mike, so we've got that. All right. And you had a story about your character um, in one of your. um, In in the science fiction uh, series that I'm working on right now, these are these are the Donovan books that are Mm -hmm. are put out by uh, Daw Books. Mm -hmm. And we just published number six. But. One of the characters that I started out with in Outpost, which is the first book, uh, Dan Worth is, I mean, he is a classic psychopath. And the problem is, is that I wrote him so well that most of my, my one and two star reviews are people who can't read the books because he's such an absolutely despicable human being. You know, and when you make your, your, your villain that good, I mean, you, you almost break your break your arm patting yourself on the back. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously. And, and here's one of the things that, that your listeners out there need to understand. And that is that the most important character in your story is your villain. The mm-hmm. antagonist. Mm-hmm. Because without an antagonist, you have no novel. Mm-hmm. What, else, what else is the protagonist? 
out there to uh, take to down with. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And it doesn't matter whether your antagonist is a human being, like the despicable Dan Worth, who has you know abuses women and then has foul language and and no morals whatsoever and no empathy and no regrets, or it could be just the environment, um, like in in the scorched earth. The antagonist is the actual civil war itself and the dysfunction in society in, in Arkansas in, eight, in the 1860s. Uh, the antagonist, if you think like in terms of the classic John, Jack London story to build a fire, the antagonist is the cold. It's whatever your protagonist has to overcome is mm-hmm. the most important part of the mm. novel. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about place research. You 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 shared that uh, at one time where your suspension of disbelief was so violated, you took out a book and shot it. Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The, Dana it, it, yeah. Wagon West series. So what's your advice yeah. for keeping people on track for setting a story? Do your research correctly. Don't make stuff up which violates willing suspension of disbelief plain and simple all right easy to say and like i mean it's easy to become the world's finest target shooter in the olympics either all you have to do is 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 hold your target pistol up align the sights perfectly and you know release the trigger without moving the gun Mm mm-hmm what what if i had a a book set in mang you know um in, in tibet and and Tibet is not on my travel radar list. Is there a book that you would suggest that really would give me a deep dive in to help me? Yeah, yeah, because there are lots of journals written by travelers in Tibet. There are lots of travel guides. I really suggest uh, Lone, Lonesome Planet, the Fromer's Guides, all of those those books which are associated with going on vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, check out the, the bibliographies, check out the journals from people who have, have written about it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff online from, Hey, you know, this is my, my, mm-hmm. my trip to Tibet. Uh, a lot of published journals about, yeah, I spent six weeks hiking through the back country and, and use that information, uh, geographic guides, uh, check out geology um there are you know lots and lots and lots of, of articles on the geology of tibet on vegetation uh go to, to botany it, it's it's just it's it, there's a huge amount of information out there that you can go through and make sure that, that you create the correct environment yes oh uh, so you're the perfect armchair traveler so you can do it right. that way. All right. So what about, um, you know, we're down to three minutes. I hate it when I get to this point. What about period stuff? Um, I mentioned, you know, something about a Timex watch 50 minutes ago. But how, yeah. do, how do people make sure that if we're in the digital age, if you're writing about the digital age, you better have the digital right. age. But you can't put digital age back in a, in a book that's set in 1950. Right. Right. Uh, here's one of those things where, where the Internet has really become a useful tool. Now, that said, it comes with a lot of caveats. Yeah. But generally, for this is what in anthropologists call 
and historical archaeologists call an inception date. When did a given technology first come into common use? Um, and it, it works. Historical archaeologists in the West, for example, really depend on cartridge cases because we know exactly when, when they were first manufactured and generally how long they were used for commonly. Uh, same thing happens, I think, on, in the, the article that you're publishing, I talked about uh, calculators yeah. and when they, they first came in. And so you can find so much of that information now just simply by you know, typing it in and Googling it, that that's, it's just a, a wonderful resource. In the past, we always had to rely on, on lots and lots and lots of historic period books, uh, Sears catalogs, those kinds of things. Exactly. All right. So in our last minute, last minute, Mike, any last minute tips we can leave them with? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that Last in. minute tips yeah. are, along with doing the research, be sure that you read a lot in that genre. Mm-hmm. For example, the, the Donovan mm-hmm. books are mm-hmm. set 200 years in the future on a planet 30 light years away from Earth. And if you're writing science fiction, if you're writing fantasy, if you're writing prehistory, do the reading, understand the rules of the genre before you start writing it. And if, because if you violate those rules, that the readers are expecting, you're violating willing suspension of disbelief. I, I think that's kind of a great summary. You got to understand the rules of the genre and you start by a lot of reading. Michael Gear, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing podcast. Judith, thank you so much. It's been absolutely delightful. All right, everyone, we'll see you next week. Thank you for being a part of your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryle.